what are they thinking? Why would they do something like that? Wouldn't it be nice to know what's going on on the inside of someone's head and understand just why they do the things that drive you crazy? You're in luck. Welcome to my series on how to get along with people based on their Enneagram type, my favorite personality test that is so incredibly spot on, it's going to blow your mind. I share with you literally how to get along with each type and even interview someone from each type so you can get the tea straight from the source. Welcome to Create Your Fate. If you have been coasting through life, but are ready to make small conscious changes to step out of fear and into living your best life ever, this show is for you. Who am I? I'm Life Coach Meg Ellis, here to help retrain old self-limiting beliefs into a positive mindset so you can confidently become the person who you want to be by first understanding who you already are. How? By using the law of attraction in my favorite personality test, the Enneagram. And I'll even teach you some mind tricks along the way. Ultimately, I guide you to stop thinking about what you don't want and instead focus on what you do want. You can create your best life ever, and it begins with your mind. Are you ready? It's time to create your fate. All right, let's get into the mind of an Enneagram 8 so we can understand what's going on in there. Honestly, I decided to do this series because I kept finding myself in conversations with people who were trying to understand their loved ones, and I would give advice based on their Enneagram type, and it seemed to really help. So I figured, hey, what better way to help everybody to be able to do this too than to dedicate an entire podcast series to it. If you're new to the Enneagram, check out mini episode 131 to learn all about the basics of an Enneagram 8, who is also known as the challenger. The core desire of an eight is to protect themselves and the ones that they love and be in control. And their core fear is to be weak, harmed, or under somebody else's control. I'm going to be sharing some additional information on how to get along with Enneagram eights that comes from one of my go-to sources, ninetypes.com, and then we'll hop right into my interview with a challenger. Okay, so eights. Challengers are direct, self-reliant, self-confident, strong, assertive. They are straight talkers, they are decisive, and they love to be protective of the people in their inner circles. How to get along with me. Stand up for yourself and me. Be confident, strong, and direct. Don't gossip about me or betray my trust. Be vulnerable and share your feelings. See and acknowledge my tender, vulnerable side. Give me space to be alone. Acknowledge the contributions I make, but don't flatter me. I often speak in an assertive way. Don't automatically assume it's a personal attack. When I scream, curse, and stomp around, try to remember that's just the way I am. What I like about being an eight. Being independent and self-reliant. Being able to take charge and meet challenges head on. Being courageous, straightforward, and honest. Getting all the enjoyment I can out of life. Supporting, empowering, and protecting those close to me. Upholding just causes. What's hard about being innate? Overwhelming people with my bluntness. Scaring them away when I don't intend to. Being restless and impatient with others' incompetence. Sticking my neck out for people and receiving no appreciation for it. Never forgetting injuries or injustices. Putting too much pressure on myself. Getting high blood pressure when people don't obey the rules or when things don't go right. 
Today, my dear friend and fellow retreat host, Dr. Susan, joins me to share what goes on in the mind of an Enneagram 8. Dr. Susan is a renowned physician specializing in midlife women's health and happiness. She has her own show, Empowering Midlife Wellness, and is an Ironman many times over. Ready to check out the mind of a challenger? Let's dive in. My beloved friend and Enneagram 8... Thank you for being on the show today. So tell me, how how did knowing your Enneagram and discovering that you are an eight, how did that change the way you communicate with others or even see yourself? Oh my gosh. So I know you know a little bit of this story, but prior to 10 years ago, I had no idea why I did certain things. And I honestly had no idea why other people did them either, why they didn't do things like me. And it was constantly a source of frustration. I'm like, why are they not getting it done? Or why did that person call me a bloody blah? We can talk about some of those names. I had no understanding. I just thought I was doing things the way they should be done and was constantly confused about how that rubbed up against other people. So about 10 years ago, I took an Enneagram test as part of my coach training and found out that I was an Enneagram 8. And when I read about it, especially when I read about it in relationship to other people, I thought, did they bring a video camera into my house. I feel exposed. (laughs) I totally was like, oh my gosh, like they have been following me around. Like, hey, like this could not be true. So I took the test, I don't know, maybe 10 times over the last 10 years. And I'm one of the, as you and your listeners know, you don't always fall very squarely into one bucket. It could be a lot of things. I'm like an eight. (laughs) And every time I take it, I'm an eight. eight. I'm still an eight and still an eight. I'm actually an eight. A text eight. You know what's funny is every time, every time I ever hear, oh, this, this test isn't right. This isn't me. It's always an eight saying that. It's always the eight. Well, I was pretty sure it was right, but I, I'm like, it just was too, almost too right. You know what I mean? And I, then the parts of it we can talk about too, there were parts of it that I didn't want to be right. Like, I'm like, I don't want to be that kind of person. But you know, now I've accepted it. So you asked sort of how have you learned from it? Accepting that's actually who I am. And a lot of people think of the various personality tests and this one's no different. Like, I don't want to be put in a bucket or, you know, don't put me in a pigeonhole or whatever. But it's so not like that. Because even in the 10 years that I've known that I'm an Enneagram 8, is, there's been so much growth and transition within that type. So as your listeners know, it's, you can be lots of different things within that type. And I've grown a lot in my eightness and learned to embrace the good parts and also understand the parts that I wish weren't quite so eight-ish. So eight-ish, <laughs> yes. Well, that's the thing too, you know, with, with people saying, oh, I don't want to be an eight or this isn't me or, you know, yeah. or whatever type it is. It's There's also nine levels of health for each type. So an unhealthy eight is wildly different than a healthy eight. And because eights are also an externalizing type, everyone can maybe see the less desirable parts more than maybe one of the (laughs) internal types, right? And the core emotion is anger. So that's uh, an emotion that is projected outwards. And so that's why I think eights get a bad rap. You know, they just do, but there's so many beautiful things about being an eight. They love helping people. There are lots of Enneagram mates throughout history and currently living on the planet that do really harmful things. And those would be the ones who are less evolved. And then other Enneagram mates who have grown to, you know, be completely different. So the stereotypes are definitely relevant, I think. And I 
didn't like some of those about myself because I could see that they were true. You know, often the things that we see about ourselves that are true are the ones that are the hardest to accept. But yeah, it's good. It's great knowing that I'm an eight and um, it's helped so many things uh, in my life and relationships to know that. Good. Yeah. The Enneagram, I'm telling you, it's, it's so spot on. So let's talk about, we'll start with one of the good qualities of an eight. How about that? Is yes. eights love, love to help people and they love to create impact. So that is a big decision driver for you. So tell me what, why is impact and creating change and helping people, why is it so important to you? Hmm. Why is it so important? That's a good question. I would tell you it is important at first. That's spot on. Like my life, if I look back at it, it's just been really driven by all of these different decisions to make a difference. And so people might describe eights as often being too much or doing too big or words like that, like going big or, and I, I do that, you know, as an example, if I'm going to do charity work, I'll go to the poorest country in Africa and do it. Right. <laughs> the extreme. Uh, people tell me when I had kids, I had twins. <laughs> like if yeah. I'm going to do something, I'll do like the biggest version of it. It's an interesting why? I, that's a good question. It's a deep desire to make a difference and make an impact in the short time that we have. And the downside of that, I think, is that it can always feel like you're chasing something you can never achieve. So I really struggle with that balance, trying to have a life that I feel is important and not to be constantly feeling like I'm driven to do something impossible, because that is something I think that a lot of eights struggle with. It's never enough you know, is an Ironman enough? Now, maybe I need to run a hundred miles or, you know. Right, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Ultra Ironman. Or right, right. Like, let's, let's do more. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, the good part is you can get a lot done. Like I, I do get a lot done. Like if I look back at my life, I, I make decisions very quickly. I move forward with them. I achieved a lot of things. If you look at what most people consider to be achievements, the downside of that is I didn't stop a lot to just smell the roses. And so I am really working on that now as I get more mature to, to, yeah, get things done, but also spend some time not getting things done. Cause the desire to have an impact all the time can feel like being driven. It's like, okay, I got to do more and more and more. Yeah. That's that wing seven of that eightness is like more and more and more, but it's right, more yeah. impact, more change, more, you know, how can I help people? Right. Maybe tap into the nine wing of Calm it down. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I definitely can use some of that. So peace, peacefulness would not be a, a trait that comes easily to me. I work on it and I have to work on it, you know, with meditation or just you know, blocking time out of my schedule because it wouldn't happen naturally. I would just be bleh, like going full speed ahead all the time, right. um, which is, you know, you get stuff done, but there's a price to pay for it. Right. Well, it's a known to be very good visionaries. They can see the big picture. And so they're also ready to go, right? I, I was like, I was like born ready kind of thing. I was like, I'm, I was born ready. Got it, get it good. Let's move. And right. so it's like, come on, follow me. And so there's types out there, like especially like one, three and five in this competency group where it's like, no, 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 no. It's got to make sense before we move forward. Whenever you get some pullback, from people where it's like, wait, 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 slow down. What are we doing? What yes. does that feel like for you? Because it's coming from this place of passion and like, I care so much. And it's like, oh, you're taking this away from me, you know? Right. So my gut reaction, which I'm working on and what I might have reacted to 10 years ago, I, well, I'll just say I would have, is it's super annoying. I like get the <laughs> out of my way and I'll do it myself. Like if you're not ready to go, 
forget you, I'll do it on my own. And so there's been a many times, <laughs> and currently also still happening sometimes, <laughs> where I will just plow over people. Like if they're not ready to move at my speed, I will leave them in the dust and plow over them. And that doesn't feel good to the other person. So I've been called things like a steamroller or a bull in a china shop or a force of nature or other less, you know, complimentary similar <laughs> terms. Right, right, exactly. So yeah. I'll just take it and do it um, instead of letting people do things at their own speed. So that's another really important lesson for eights is to learn the Enneagram type of those around you because it really doesn't feel good to the other people. And like, we desperately don't want to hurt anyone. Like we're super loyal and just have yeah, your, your mission is the opposite. I want to help. I'm trying to do something good. Right. Like we want to help people, but I think untamed eights and I am growing out of being one in the desire to help other people end up hurting a lot of people, like the ones closest to us, because we're plowing over them, whether they're uh, friends, relatives, employees, and that's not our desire. Uh, our desire is to help, but yeah, we have to recognize that other people don't work at that speed. And <laughs> And have valuable input too. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way to say it. Like, not everyone's on that speed. <laughs> Sometimes it's valuable. Yes, that's a. I think that's a very valuable piece of advice for for eights and people who are trying to get along with eights. Right. And because it's interesting, because eights are this, you know, visionary. I see the big picture. Got to get it good. You're actually in the reactive harmonic group. So meaning, I'm ready to go. Let's just like, poof, we're there. And so whenever you get some pullback, and, and most of the time you actually it's figure it out. Like I always figure it out, right? It always kind of works out for me. Like I'm, that's just kind of a thing for eights. Like it always works, right? You make it work. So what happens is because you all always figure it out or are likely to figure it out when other people are different, um, sometimes other people's, and I'm going to phrase this, like the question phrased it, it can be hard to deal with other people's incompetence or what seems to be incompetence because you're like, got to get a good, it worked out for me. What don't you get? So talk to me about being patient with others who aren't on that speed. <laughs> well, we need some coaching around that S8 because it doesn't come naturally. I, the natural tendency, and it might sound harsh and it does feel harsh on the other side is why is everybody so stupid? <laughs> why are they so slow? I don't understand why they can't get this done and do it right. I'll just do it myself. Yeah. So that's, that's the natural feeling that comes up in, in my system and this is how eights feel. And so the patience element is a, um, like I was mentioning about this other element, you know, putting space in your life for not doing things. It's work to do that, like to learn to be patient. It doesn't come naturally. It's like learning a second language, like to recognize how important that is. So yes, patience is really important for Enneagram eights, myself, to learn uh, because it isn't doesn't come naturally. So if you're on the other side of an eight that feels like they're bowling you over or bulldozing you, understanding that it's they're not doing it on purpose they just don't they were not born with a patience gene like it's right. something you have to learn <laughs> now we are responsible to learn that because we don't want to hurt people so that is a responsibility of an eight to learn that i believe that's true but if you're feeling like an eight is is sort of doing that to you maybe have some compassion for them they can't help it <laughs> yeah and, and and when you're driven from a place of impact and passion it's hard to cuz you're like i care about this so much why right. doesn't everybody else care about this as much as I do, right? That 
can kind of be hurtful, you know, from an AIDS perspective. Yeah, right. And so it can also be lonely, as you're sort of alluding to. I think it's very easy as an eight. Well, first of all, many people will just not want to be around you because uh, they feel pushed aside or that you're not listening to them or that their opinion's not valued. So you lose a lot of connections that way because people just leave, understandably. And then there's another element where people kind of fear you or are intimidated. And so even if they are in your space, it can feel disconnected because the, you know people have a wall up, understandably, because they feel like you're going to pull over them. And so it can feel lonely as an eight because you, you're not connected because people are afraid of you. You want to help. You want to connect. Other people are just leaving because they don't want to be hurt by you. So in an uncontrolled state, and I can feel very lonely. And I've definitely experienced that in my past. It, I Less of that now because I've recognized that I can do that to people or that I can be perceived that way. So yeah, it can be a pretty lonely space. Yeah. And two big growth points for an eight, kind of like the, we'll call them like the growth points of personal development are invulnerability and control. <laughs> and a lot of times, I think that probably, it sounds like it can feed into the loneliness because let's touch on invulnerability. If that is the natural tendency for an eight is to to struggle with this invulnerability, then yeah, that seems like it would be lonely. So what is it about being vulnerable that is scary for an eight? Uh yeah, I think vulnerability scares a lot of people. I'm getting a lot better at it now, uh, but I'm look, thinking back to when I was younger, I definitely would be very uh, defended. Like, I've got this, you know, I'm tough, I'm strong. I had a very sort of Iron Man type persona that I wore around most of the time, but that wasn't really who I was. Uh, you know, underneath those really soft sides that just wanted to be loved like everybody else. But the the armor, you know, I think we could each all go back to our past to make up a story about why we put on our armor, right? And so everyone has a personal story about that. But um, at some point, just wanting to not be hurt, like wanting to know that things are going to be done right. And it can feel a little bit like survival. I'm going to die if this doesn't get done right, which, you know, has some historic ancestral roots. Like, right, right. But yeah, knowing that you're and I'm just making up the story, knowing that you're the most competent one who can get this done. It feels like being the uh, leader of a caveman tribe or something like that. I'm going to save this whole tribe by being so strong. It's a huge responsibility or it feels yeah. like, and it's not real. It's all a story, right? Right. The self-induced responsibility of like, it's up to me. It is up right. to me. So that kind of feeds into the control. Yes, because all these other one, these other people are not competent. This is the story of a eight that it hasn't. Right, I don't trust you because you're not as competent. <laughs> right, so I'm going to do it all myself. So I definitely can't let down my armor because I'm the one who's protecting this whole tribe from being killed by the other guys. So it's a very ancient kind of a feeling. I can, you know, it's a feeling that comes up in your gut from some time back when we were cavemen. I guess that's the best understanding I can have about yeah. why but it feels very real, uh, even though it's not real. <laughs> There's no tribes going to kill me or my family, but it sometimes feels like that. So you need your armor up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does it feel like when somebody else has the control? Actually, I think uh, we had talked about when you had started your current practice, right? Again, it's, it's up to me. I'm standing up for people who maybe can't stand up for themselves. And I'm going to 
this whole situation that I'm currently in is out of control. So I'm going to take control of it and start my own thing. What is it about things being out of control or being done the wrong way or people being mistreated? What is it that makes you just so lit up that you're like, I'm going to take this control? Yeah. I mean, even you telling that story, I can just feel it bubbling up in my gut. Like, like that's just wrong. Like uh, when I see people in my headspace being mistreated, for example, in my old practice where I was the CEO of a big group that was sort of under the control of a hospital system and they made us do a lot of things. And in my opinion, mistreated people. I would go ballistic about that, like about trying to get someone a 50 cent raise or something like that. I mean, I would go to the head of the hospital and demand a meeting and like, this is wrong. And like, so standing up for my people is I would literally put my job at risk, which I did by having these very forceful conversations with powerful people who I thought were hurting the ones on my team. Yeah, I mean, it felt very much like they were hurting my family, like that caveman idea, like the gut feeling I have when you talk about that is you're hurting my family. Yeah, <laughs> like, I want to protect. I'm the protector. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. So it can get a little bit. The protective emotion is so strong. And, you know, many of us have that about, you know, what would we do? you know, to protect our kids from being hurt or something like that. But in my case, it extends to everybody, like my employees, or friends, right. your um, inner circle of anybody yes. who you care about, you're going to like mama bear it out, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you hurt one of my close people, I will make it right. I mean, I'm not going to go after you. I'm not violent or anything, but I will make, I will just stand up for you. Like, I've, this is wrong. Like, you know, yeah. um, see everyone, it's nice to have an Enneagram eight around, isn't it? Now people are starting to sing a different tune. They're like, you know what, actually, I'm going to like this. I'm glad the eight is on my side and not against me. You know, that's right. I guess some of us might actually physically hurt people. I wouldn't do that. That's not in my nature, but definitely would stand up for, you know, even if it's a little thing, current moment, I'm dealing with a a bill that was sent to me by T-Mobile and it was wrong. It was not, anyway, they weren't billing me for something that was incorrect and I'm refusing to pay for it. It's like I've elevated this to some high level. I told you a funny story. I did a similar thing with United Airlines. I was going to say, oh my God, are we going to bring up the United story? Woo! I'm bubbling up from that one. T-Mobile and United Airlines do not give a shit about my perception <laughs> of what they did was wrong. But I oh, man, just... I'm pretty sure T-Mobile and United are not going to sponsor this podcast anymore <laughs> after this episode. Yeah. <laughs> what you did was wrong and I'm going to make it right. And so it's a very um, powerful. So it can, there's a lot of really good things you can do with that, like political activism and helping people that are being mistreated, you know, in poverty or, or that otherwise are being treated poorly or it, so I think eights often tend to get involved in activism, which is very positive. Yeah. They're great natural born leaders. Yeah. Can also tip the scales and become angry activists, which is not helpful. You know, so getting things done in a peaceful way is a challenge, I think, for eights because we just want it done right now. Right. In the right way. Right. And so because you would have done right now and because it's like, got to get it good. I'm already on to the next thing. Keep up. You tend as an eight to talk very bluntly and directly. So talk to me about how that has actually helped you and how it's actually harmed you in your core correspondence with others. 
I'll tell you first how it's harmed me because that's the most obvious one. Like the way I say things to me makes perfect sense, but to someone with a different personality type that's a little bit more passive, nothing wrong with it, it can feel like I'm yelling at them or telling them what to do or being abrasive or, oh my gosh, she doesn't like me. So if I tell an employee, and my employees have learned to, they understand when I say things, it doesn't mean I don't like you or (laughs) any of those things. Uh, But I might say, we need to get this done now and come back to me in an hour and tell me what, what happened. So it's something like that, very blunt, just get it done and tell me the results quickly. As to somebody that might sound rude or that I didn't, you know, say it nicely enough or didn't ask please or thank you. To me, I'm just trying to get something done. It's not personal at all. It's just, let's get this done and tell me how it worked out and let's move on. So I've learned that there are certain types that it's more important to try to soften that tone around. But I, I have to, that's why it's helpful to understand who you're talking to. Right. So understanding the Enneagram types of your friends, family, coworkers. So if I said something like that to you, you would be, oh, that's just Susan talking because she's an eight. If I said it to someone who didn't know me, they could be very offended and assume something that I didn't mean. Uh, so I think it's, it works on both ways. Um, if they can understand me that it's not personal, that's great. And so I've taught my employees that, hey, don't be offended if I tell you something quite quickly and energetically. <laughs> yes, not I like personal. that word, energetically. Right. Of course, like, you know, if I say it with some passion and the elevated volume of my voice doesn't mean I don't like you. And on the other hand, I have to be really careful not to do that around certain people. um, Yeah. Some people like the fluff. Right. You need all the fluff. Right. So it's helpful for me to learn. I can't talk like that around everybody or I'll be misunderstood. And my goal is to be understood and connect with people. And so I think I, as an eight, I would just tell everyone, do it my way. Learn to talk like me and don't be offended. But on the other hand, it's important for me to learn to talk more like them so that I can be understood and connect. Because I think we we deeply want to help people and desperately want to connect. But we cut ourselves off from that ability by acting in ways that disconnect from people for the reasons I mentioned. So, yeah, it's, it's a real balancing point. Right. Yeah, they're there's got to be a lot of consciousness to it because otherwise it just, you know, that's where miscommunication happens. So what if somebody is, oh, hey, uh, I'm a fluff talker. I got to do all these filler words and like all the things. And you're like, I'm like, well, in my head, like, okay, I got this patient. I got this patient. I got this to do, this to do, this to do, this to do. I got all these things to do. Just get it out, you know? Yes. So many times. Yeah. <laughs> what does it feel like on the receiving end of somebody who is fluffy in conversation? Yeah, it'd be very uncomfortable. So when I was younger, I would sometimes I would have an employee who would come up to me and be like, oh, hey, Dr. Susan, I just, hey, so what you, I just wanted to talk to you. And there was this thing and I'm like, Michael, <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> stop talking. I want one sentence right now and then go. Like, and that would actually be the way I said it. And so I made up this person's name. He would come back with his one sentence with his head down, tail between his legs, and then think that I didn't like him. Remainder of years that he worked for me. And yeah, so probably could have handled that better. And just, yeah, <laughs> Michael, Michael's crying somewhere. Like, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what does it feel like if someone's just like fluff, 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 fluff? Like, oh my God. 
Oh, no, no. So annoying. Like it, it won't take long before I say something like that. But meanwhile, my blood is boiling. I'm not listening to anything that you're saying. I'm like, I do not want the details. Just give me the one sentence about why are you here and what do you want? <laughs> right. High level, high right. level details only. Like, don't give me the weeds. Don't care about the details or what you did last Beginning, weekend. Middle end, you know? <laughs> yeah. So my employees have learned this. I'm like, if you approach me, you know, and it sounds awful, I realize, but this is really true. If you're coming up to me with something to say, and we're talking about in a work environment, this would be a horrible way to have a personal relationship, I realize. In a work environment during a busy day, what do you want? Give it to me in one sentence, put a period at the end, and then I'll give you an answer. Like, don't waffle on. Right. Because <laughs> I'm around on the bush. That's right. Tell me what you want. What can I do for you? I'll give you an answer. And that would take about 30 seconds. Um, right. So <laughs> got it. Get it get. Well in business and not so well in personal relationships. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So learning to be a little more fluffy, that's a growth point for an eight. Because it's like, I could have just gotten all this stuff done. But instead, here we are still talking about the same thing. And all this fluff is really stupid and it doesn't actually matter anyway. You know, that's what's going on in the back of our minds, perhaps. But yeah, so learning to be a bit more fluffy actually feels good. I mean, because it does feel more connecting. Um, So I think teaching the people around you, they learn pretty fast um, because, you know, if you've had that dumped on you a couple of times, if you haven't already left and you've decided to hang in there and still be in my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's a lot of people are really open to learning, you know, what's a better way to communicate with you. And so, you know, same with me. So it's a real balancing act with relationships, I think. Yeah. I, I don't know where I came up with this, but or read it, but it's so obvious. It makes a lot of sense, but I think we just never stop and think about this. Even if you don't know someone's Enneagram type, it's like, how am I going to communicate best with them? It's how do they communicate with others, that's probably how they like to be communicated with, right? So if you're really direct and blunt, you probably would appreciate that in return. And if someone's super fluffy, you know, all the things, they probably like that in return. And it's so simple, but it's kind of easy that's to... True. And so, so I think that's a really good point. Like, And then each person can sort of meet in the middle, understanding that we're different. And I think that's why the Enneagram is so useful because, you know, I mentioned in the beginning, I truly didn't understand why is everyone acting like this? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't right. understand. Everybody else. <laughs> like, what is wrong with all of them? Apparently, um, this is somebody else's fault. I'm going to go yell at them. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's clear that that's not a very peaceful or happy way to live, like in constant misunderstanding of why everybody's so stupid. It's a much more useful, I'm joking, that's a very, you know, unevolved way to be. Understanding that everybody's just seeing things differently the way we do throughout different personality lenses is so helpful. So yeah, I'm not going to be super fluffy and talk to someone like Michael for 10 minutes before I get to the point of what it is I want to hear. But I might now, um, or I would now with an employee who has a style like that, just sit down with them for a minute and say, hey, I like to communicate, you know, in short, sweet sentences and get to the point really quickly. So a really good way to talk to me would be to come up and say hi. And I, you know, I really like you You're doing a great job, my person. Uh, But you know, have thought about it before you approach me and just realize that I'm busy, give it to me in one or two sentences, and then put a period at the end and just wait for a second. And then I'll give you an answer. Do you think that would work for you? 
and yet I think universally they've been really grateful to hear like, whoo, thank goodness. I thought it was me. I thought you didn't like me. Yeah. Right. Now I know what she wants. Um, and I have to be really careful to give appreciation and compliments to the people around me because there's so much of the opposite. There's so much of this potential feeling like, oh my gosh, like she's so direct and she doesn't like me. So I, I try to put an equal amount of weight on giving appreciation and thank you. You're doing a great job. And more so than I would naturally do. Cause that's, I think just understanding that people need that has been a, a really useful point for me as a leader, not to just be bossing people around all the time. And that's not pleasant. And, you know, I want to have a happy workplace where everybody feels comfortable around me, but that is a challenge for eights because people don't feel comfortable around you. They're scared, they're intimidated. And then, you know, if a scared, intimidated person approaches you, they're already in a space of feeling uncomfortable. It's right. easy to make that worse. And so now I'm sort of learning to try to make it better, you know, make it, give them a softer landing, like make it easier, tell them what you want. Um, so my right. advice would be, you know, just to communicate that. If you're confused about why the people around you are misunderstanding you, just talk about it. I think that's great advice. And I think it, I mean, open communication is just so helpful and it's so accessible. It just, people just don't do it, you know, and it can solve so many problems. What advice would you have for somebody who is intimidated by an eight and maybe they've had some conversations with an eight and they do feel, oh, I don't think this person likes me or, whoa, that was really abrasive and, and too direct. Now I have to go approach them again and I am intimidated. What advice would you have for that person? Just go in and it's a clean slate. Like it's not a personal attack or like, what would you say to them? Well, anyone who's listening to this and has any understanding of personality types, if you're dealing with an Enneagram 8 who knows they're an 8 and, and they are they are aware of the Enneagram, it might be a fun conversation just to talk about your different personality types. Now, if you have a boss and you're pretty sure they're an 8, but they have no idea they're an 8 and not interested in learning about it, that's a place that I would encourage you just to have some compassion. See that they're controlling everything because they're scared that they're not really this angry, intimidating, awful person, even though that might be what they're projecting if they haven't done much self-development work. It's very hard to have compassion for people who hurt you. I know you and I talk about this a lot. So if, if you've been hurt by an eight, really hard to do. I mean, this is a high level stuff to have compassion for people who hurt you. But if we did hurt you, if an eight hurt you, rarely did they mean to. And, And there are extreme cases, but we're talking about most average people. It's coming from a place of fear. Like they're afraid that their tribe's going to get killed or something bad's going to happen if they don't keep everything together like yeah, we were talking yeah. about. So, you know, all of that behavior comes from fear. And so in that respect, approach them. You know more than they do at this point, right? If you're, say, a six or a nine or somebody who might see things differently, you can kind of it's a superpower to know someone else's Enneagram type. It really So is. you can approach them with more than they know about themselves, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of cool. I think that's super cool. And, and I think there's a misconception that because all I see is this hard, shiny armor, Yeah, I would think, oh, that person doesn't need compassion, but really think of that soft and squishy on the inside, right? Like think of that in the the true essence of the person. It's like, no, they're really coming from a good place. That person wants compassion. They're so soft and squishy on the inside. Yeah, they are. Even the even the most extreme types are really soft and squishy on the inside. We all are. Uh, but yeah. the Enneagram eights that, that really 
you know, and I was one, maybe, maybe I still am a lot at the type that can present this exterior of being such a badass and like so intimidating. No, I mean, you know me and I, so that's not who I really yeah. am. Yeah. I've seen you on retreats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's a persona that we put on to protect ourselves that's not who they really are so yeah if you're approaching someone like that and they they very likely might be your boss or a leader in some way that could have some sort of power over you yeah maybe 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 you can see through that even if they can't mm-hmm. yeah wow that's solid solid advice well thank you so much for your vulnerability beat on this podcast because I know AIDS do get a bad rep. They really do. It's just because yeah. that soft and squishy is on the inside. And, um, you know, I think, I think you gave so much great insight to people who are around AIDS and to AIDS too. So I'm going to be sending this to all my eight friends and, and everybody who's in contact yeah. with the name. I mean, it's, it's great. It's great to be an eight and it's great to evolve within whatever personality type you have. If you're an eight and you're still stuck in the, where I was 10 years ago, there's so much you can do to grow or any, any type. So yeah, I love, I love the Enneagram and thank you so much for, um, for sharing it. And then, you know, helping to share it with other people so they can understand more about themselves and the people around them. I am happy to do it. Well, thank you again, friends. And we'll do a podcast again soon. So y'all will be hearing from Dr. Susan. I have your podcast linked in the notes. So go check out all the amazing work that she is doing and we'll talk to you soon that wraps up how to get along with an enneagram eight i hope it was helpful and gave you some insight into the mind of someone who you love be sure to send it to your favorite enneagram eight or someone who you know is in a close relationship with an eight and if you love today's episode please follow subscribe or leave a review it really does help the show grow and allows me to continue to get awesome guests and episodes out for you And of course, if I could leave you with just one thing, it would be this. Expect good things always, and they will happen. 